Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, this is the African Liberation Media. The day's date is June 29th. 2020 or 6260 this I have been told over the past several years we have tried to basically engage the public in some of the critical issues in the streets we have mass mobilization very little organization if there's a time for clarity the time is now this is an opportunity that cannot be wasted. Ultimately, we have to decide what is the end game. Of course, the system is interested in making cosmetic changes. Basically, what we're talking about is nothing really substantive that undermines the basic workings of a system that has oppressed us. Where do we go from here? Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. And that's my opening statement. Abibi Fahodier, African Liberation Media family. It is indeed another opportunity for us to come together and discuss some issues that uh, you won't find discussed in the way we discuss them anywhere else. We've been dealing in this country, the United States, with a pandemic. Some people call it COVID-1619. We've been dealing, we've been dealing with, yeah, we've been dealing, we've been dealing with institutionalized, you know, white supremacy, African powerlessness. Our ancestors were forced to migrate to this country into systems of servitude and slavery, which was eventually refined into the world's most oppressive system of exploitation and destruction of humanity and culture in the form of chattel slavery. And for 246 years, our people endured this and fought back in a number of ways before we reached the point that is known as Juneteenth, June 19, 1865, which was a transition out of chattel slavery. It, it, Juneteenth is a recognition of the end of the long nightmare of the daily terror of chattel slavery. In Charlotte, we had a number of Juneteenth celebrations this year. Normally we only have one, the Juneteenth Festival of the Carolinas, which uh, was organized by, by, by Brother Pap and Jai, our brother from Senegal, who uh, opened the House of Africa with the uh, thought process that if you can't go to Africa, we'll bring Africa to you. And uh, we held the first Juneteenth in uh, 1997. So this is the 23rd consecutive year that we had uh, a Juneteenth celebration 
uh, hosted by the House of Africa, but in a reduced capacity due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the other pandemic that is wrecking havoc in our community, uh, percentages say about 27, 28% of those who have passed away from COVID-19 are people of African descent, which based on my last calculations would total over 35,000 people. So we had a reduced capacity, but other people decided that they would have Juneteenth celebrations, which is great. And one of those celebrations was a uh, Juneteenth uh, liberation drive through on Betis Ford Road on June 19th during the afternoon between uh, 6 o'clock and 8, 8 p.m. And uh, the group that organized this had a very successful uh, event. Uh, it was the brainchild of Brother Wisdom and Sister uh, Sherry Jazar, the Mayor's Place, among other organizations that participated. I saw our brother Jacotron, Reverend Jacotron Parts out there and others. And the event was held and, you know, people paraded in their, you know, red, black and green regalia flags and signs uh, recognizing uh, African people who have been taken out by state-sponsored violence, you know, Emmett Till, uh, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Wendy Gill Thompson. The list goes on and on and on and on. And that event ended. And later that night, that Friday night, a group of people got together and uh, decided to have a social gathering along uh, the Betis Ford Road corridor. And uh, some brothers decided, uh, perhaps brothers and sisters, decided that uh, they would put on a, a show uh, in the street of Vegas Ford Road. They essentially turned it into a version of Z-Max Dragway, uh, doing uh, uh, burnouts and donuts. And all of this was taking place while normal traffic was, was trying to pass. And... It became clear on that Friday night that the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department was going to allow that activity to take place. So it, the crowd came back on Saturday night. Uh, apparently there was an event Saturday night where someone did pull a gun, but no shots were fired. The police actually blocked off the road and allowed the uh, reckless driving. I'm saying that based on the fact that I got a ticket when I was 17 for doing a burnout. <laughs> I got a ticket for reckless driving when I was 17. And since I was uh, just across the river in Belmont, <laughs> the state patrolman decided to take me to jail. But the Charlotte Mecklenburg police allowed this activity to take place. And you know, I'm saying that within the context of the social gathering, uh, as long as people were, you know, wearing the protective coverings and things, I think people, you know, if they wanted to do that, there was no reason why they shouldn't do that. But the feature attraction was the automobile show, the the, uh, the hot rods or the supercars, the Dodge Char uh, Chargers, Challengers, Camaros, and Mustangs, and whatever else was out there. And so that took place Saturday night, and it continued again on Sunday night. And late into uh, Sunday night, an early Monday morning, with about 400 people gathered, Someone opened fire into the crowd. The police said they counted 181 shell casings. And three people, three of our brothers were killed, 
Darion Stevenson, Chris Gleaton, and Jamar Cassell, and our sister, Kelly Miller, apparently running to get away from the gunfire, was hit by one of the cars, and her body was wound up lying in the middle of Bettysford Road. Those four uh, people from our community were killed as a result of that incident. About five other people, I believe, were hit by cars, and seven others were shot. Uh, considering the number of shots fired, it was amazing that there wasn't more death. This was a mass shooting right in the heart of the black community in Charlotte, the uh, major thoroughfare in our community. And no one has been arrested since that, since that time. Uh, apparently, several people have come forward to uh, you know, offer whatever information they could to the police. Uh, and, you know, the police have criticized the community for more people not coming forward. I actually uh, walked up and down Bettysville Road myself on Friday and Saturday just to uh, survey the, the situation to see what was there. I saw numerous uh, cameras on buildings, for example, on the Western Union building, several cameras on the Bank of America building. I saw a DOT camera. Uh, out there in the vicinity of where all of this was taking place. So the police should have, <laughs> they should have camera access to cameras themselves without criticizing people who were, you know, trying to uh, save their lives by, you know, ducking behind cars, hitting the ground or doing whatever. Nobody has time to stop and start shooting video uh, while, you know, a firefight is going on. And I say a firefight because based on where the uh, shell cases were covered, it appeared to be a crossfire. Who knows who did it? We don't know. A lot of people have automatically assumed that it uh, was black-on-black uh, -black violence, but we do not know that. And uh, it was actually a weekend where there were several other shootings. Twelve people were, were shot in Minneapolis. Nine were shot in Syracuse. Uh, there was a bloodbath in Chicago. Uh, but in the United States... In 2017, what's known as the homicide clearance rate, that's a definition by the FBI on, based on the number of people who are arrested for committing homicides, the homicide clearance rate in the United States is only 61.6%, meaning 38.4% of the homicides, no one is arrested. Now, they don't track to see whether the people arrested were actually convicted. So the homicide clearance rate really, if you want to expand the definition, could be much higher. What I'm saying is that we don't know who is committing this. And in this particular cycle of white supremacy, which in my opinion is a, a recapitulation of the overthrow of Reconstruction, where we saw a massive outbreak of white supremacist violence resulting in, in many cases in large-scale massacres of our people in Places, you know, like uh, Colfax, Louisiana and Wilmington, North Carolina. And this is even before we get to uh, the early 20th century in the red summer of, uh, of 1919 and the events in, in Florida in 1920 and 21 and 23, 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility. And the reason why I say this is because there's there's continuing continuing demands for justice for sister brianna taylor no one no police officers have been charged so people in, in louisville kentucky are carrying continuously uh demonstrating 
So a group of white militia decided that they were going to hold a counter demonstration on Saturday and they promised to show up armed. So the people who were protesting on behalf of trying to bring justice for Breonna Taylor armed themselves and were waiting for these uh, militias to show up. They didn't show up. But later on that night, apparently when people had let their guard down, we have video of a white man walking up to uh, where the protest was being held, firing into the crowd, killing one and, and uh, wounding one. Now, I haven't had a chance to go back and check to see who those victims were or if there have been any arrested. But what I'm saying is, in this particular environment, in terms of these shootings, we don't know who is actually doing the shooting. But what I will say is this. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, in my opinion, is negligent uh, in terms of not uh, providing at least public safety in terms of driving because the driving, the reckless driving that was taking place, uh, luckily no one was actually killed during the time when they were doing these uh, donuts, but people were killed when the shooting uh, erupted. I don't know if the people who killed them were these same drivers that were doing donuts. I don't know. Most of the people were standing around watching. They were very, there were not a lot of people, you know, out actually on Betis Full Road, except for these guys, uh, you know, at this, you know, 1230 in the morning when this happened. So I'm saying the police helped to facilitate the conditions that, uh, that allowed this to take place. And just like the situation with the blue flu in Atlanta, you know, police are like, you know, saying, uh, listen, if y'all want to defund us, we're going to leave your community to fend for yourself. That's fine. Give us the funds. Give us the fund. Give us control of the precinct on the corner of Batesville Road and Oaklawn Avenue. We have a lot of brothers who have been trained in combat, have been in combat, in, uh, you know, fighting for the United States Army. I'm sure a lot of these brothers uh, and other conscious brothers and, and sisters could provide better police protection in the police department themselves. So give us the funds. We'll police ourselves. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if as long as long as you're going to, you know, parade around and claim you have the authority and then you don't enforce it, then we have we have to raise that issue. We have to raise we have to raise that issue. So, you know, that I, I want to talk about that because, you know, I walked up there and looked at the memorials that they had set up for our four, uh, three brothers and our sister. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was very disturbing. Uh, all of these young people's lives taken just for no reason. And Lord knows uh, what we saw take place in Chicago, uh, you know, over the, over the weekend again, you know, one year old child killed three year old child killed. I mean, listen, you know, uh, man, Frederick Douglass said the limits of, tyrants are proscribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. At what point will our endurance of this tyranny expire? And we mobilize into action to stop it because we can stop it. Well, that's a question that uh, I'm sure the Europeans have to be asking themselves and I go back to my grandmother uh born in the 19th century, a latter part of the 19th century, it was a common sight for Grandmother Susie to see a black man bleeding, staggering down the street in the wake of a castrator's knife. You know, how much 
can people take? You know, many of the stories she told me were just too unfathomable to digest uh, the times when they would have to receive the body of a black man after an electrocution over at Rayford State Prison and the whole, the entire black community would convene to take this body, escort the deceased to the funeral home. It was a sad situation, a traumatizing situation. You know, just incidents like this. But one thing I'm certain of uh, in the wake of uh, what you expressed regarding Frederick Douglass, resistance, in my opinion, has to occur within the context of a people who have high levels of self-respect. You know, Dr. Wilson told us on many occasions that it appeared to her, in fact, she was emphatic about this, that the black self-respect had totally been obliterated. Mm. So, you know, suffice it to say, we cannot put the cart before the horse. One has to proceed the other. Uh, you know, having said that, I had a conversation with a brother who uh, implied that the African American, the Africans who were losing their lives in the wake of the most heinous forms of assault meted out by white supremacy, he implied as if these brothers somehow deserved this based on the fact like that they may have been sagging uh, Laquan McDonald or they may have been poorly educated. And I, I listened. I just simply listened. I, I didn't respond. Uh, it would have been pointless to respond. You know, but the implication was as if you could graduate out of this predicament. You know, I, I'm reminded of uh, the conversation Alma Wally had with uh, Bed Rustin when he raised the rhetorical question, do you know what they call black PhD, sir? And Rustin <laughs> inquired, uh, no, I don't. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, Malcolm, of course, he offered the rejoinder, the N-word. In other words, you can't graduate yourself out of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have too many instances where, you know, black men of considerable means who had achieved crossover appeal suffered the same humiliation as a common slave. It's, you know, we reflect back on the uh, life of, of uh, the man in the mirror, Michael Jackson, you know, without a formal charge being made, the judge wrote in his search order to subdue him physically if necessary, strip him and take pictures of his private parts. Mm. So, you know, it is uh, another effort, I think, to escape the realities that we collectively as black people confront, uh, you know, when, when you have been scarred emotionally, you know, escapism becomes your mode, your modus operandi in terms of uh, coping vis-a-vis -vis dealing with the realities that we're all under assault, under this ongoing uh, reality that we call global white supremacy. 
Yeah, I think like like Makaru stated, if we don't right now we don't know who the killers are, who the shooters are. So it could very well have been a white person that decided that that was their opportunity to be able to easily shoot and kill multiple black people at that type of rally. And this is some of the things that we discussed on previous programs when we talked about the climate of a potential killer like a Dylan Roof or somebody like that who feels that their rights are being marginalized and that they have to strike uh, to try to make something change what's happening right now. You know, it's a lot of coverage being given to Black Lives Matter and a lot of corporations are donating a lot of money to black organizations and a lot of white people even though on tv it looks like a lot of white people are marching with black people more white people that are not on tv don't agree with it so <laughs> we definitely have to always stay on guard you talked about the brothers and sisters in louisville who let their guard down we can never get too comfortable at any time around Europeans, uh, especially in a heightened sense of urgency uh, like we have right now. And if the shooters were black people, then like you said, Jack, uh, it goes back to self-respect. We have to take responsibility among ourselves not to commit senseless acts of violence. If we really believe that that um that our lives are worth something then just like we want europeans not to kill us we can't kill ourselves and just like we want there to be justice when a european does kill us we also want there to be justice when one of our own kills one of our own um so i mean we have to we have to stand on our square and that's one of the principles of my art uh, we talk about truth. We have to always speak the truth. And then we also have to always act responsibly and not make excuses. So um, those two things, those two points I would make if, if, if we don't know who the killers are, it could be a white person. If it's not a white person, it's a black person. Then we need to find out who it is and, and we need justice for the families that lost people that should not have been lost on a night where people were trying to celebrate something related to African history and culture. Wow, Shay. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think that to me, in, in my opinion, and you know, I've raised this criticism uh, from the from the very beginning of uh, you know, the popularizing of this slogan Black Lives Matter. And the, the, the question I've always raised is if we're really serious, if we're really serious about the lives of our people, then it doesn't matter who kills them. Whoever kills a person of an innocent person of African descent, an innocent person of African descent, like these children. Mm-hmm. This child that was killed in Chicago, one year old, sincere Gaston. And we've seen a number of children killed in Chicago. It's a, I mean, you know, it's, it's a state of emergency, as Gullah Jack has often said. Then 
the flaw in in uh in the in that slogan you know that that causes people to react when someone is killed is that why not why not you know when uh 27 year old kendall crank is killed here in charlotte over on north Tryon street why why aren't we why aren't we demonstrating and saying to the people in our communities, we're not going to tolerate this. That's we're right. not going to tolerate it. And I mean, you know, to me, that has always been the flaw. And, you know, we wonder how, you know, exactly, you know, how much of this uh, is driven. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, generally, you know, when a black person commits a crime, they are arrested. That's true. We're not talking about them being arrested. <laughs> we're talking about stopping the violence. Stopping, uh, you know, the results of what Dr. Amos Wilson calls the psychodynamics of black self-annihilation in service of white domination. You know, we're not we, we're not talking about, well, you know, the the police uh, police killed Tamir Rice. They don't get arrested, uh, you know, and the person who perhaps, who killed a uh, uh, seven year old uh, uh, Heaven Sutton in Chicago, a nine year old Tyshawn Lee in Sutton got arrested. No, that's not. It's good that they were arrested, but the killing continues. Right. The killing continues. So to me, that's always been the flaw in that. And, you know, you wonder, uh, you know, how much of it is was driven by, you know, ulterior motives. The fact that they just chose to focus on the lives of those taken by state sponsored violence. Of course, those lives should be focused on those lives taken by state state sponsored violence and White vigilantes like George Zimmerman and the uh, Mike Michaels clan down in Brunswick, Georgia. Certainly, that 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 should be focused on. But whoever killed Sincere Gaston, uh, you know, in uh, Chicago, they fired eight shots into a car with a one-year-old child and his mother. Mm. Then that person is an enemy of African people. That's right. And just like just like Narmer. You know, I mean, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, Brother Almos is, you know, but, you know, always brought this to our attention. It's Norma, Norma, Norma had to fight Africans who were opposed to the unification of ancient Kemet. If Norma doesn't fight those Africans, we don't have nothing to talk about in terms of our history. That's right. OK. I mean, you know, you don't have a unification. There were people opposed to the idea of selfish people not willing to submerge uh, you know, their uh, ethnic identities or hold on to their little piece of territory or whatever for the greater good. So, and I'm not suggesting that we go, that, that, that we form vigilantes, uh, you know, but sometimes there does need to be some type of street justice. I mean, you know, sometimes that needs to happen. But, but as Jack said, you can only execute this if people are operating at the highest levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, within the context uh, of uh, my art, because, you know, people have a right, in, in, in my opinion, to retributive justice. But it has to be based on that. It can't be based on some kind of beef or whatever you have with somebody. OK, I mean, you know, you got people doing major damage in the community. And, you know, we've had organizations in the past. I think I told a story last week about how. Our brother Jamil El formed an organization. Why well, this man is on the FBI's most wanted list, and he formed an organization to fight drug dealers in our community. 
I don't know how much more revolutionary you can get than that, brother. I'll be honest with you. I right. really don't. But, you know, but 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 we've proven that we have, that, that we've done those types of things in the past. So, you know, right. we can do it. We can do it again. But it all starts with building consciousness. But a lot of people don't want to build consciousness. A lot of people don't want to. They want to get on YouTube and, you know, and, and talk and 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 say some things that sensationalize things that get people's attention and whatnot but that they they, they they don't want to be a consciousness okay uh that, that 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 gives people a clarity in terms of how we operate so yeah that's the that's a definite flaw to me within this whole concept of black lives matter which means a lot of different things to a lot of different people but we do know that the central organization is making is making a ton of money. Yeah, well, Black Lives Matter essentially means gay lives matter. That's the <laughs> that's what the organization was built off of. Its foundation, the the people who founded it, those are their those are their principles. So, it's a co-opted organization, and we can't sit back and allow a movement to be co-opted the same way that. It was co-opted in the early 1900s and in the in the mid 1900s, and uh, the African Center move, movement, uh, you know, was attacked in the 1980s and 1990s, and now we have this Black Liberation Movement now, that's being led primarily by queers and trans uh, sexuals, and on the well, masses, you know, the thing, on the masses the thing level. About it, well, yeah, I'll the thing say, about it almost is these people are are anti-black males yeah and and, that, and, and have, you, that's what when, you're when have a african lot of... people ever accomplished anything without complementarity between african males and african females go ahead with your point no i mean that's exactly what you're seeing a lot of when you are um looking at a lot of these videos that have been posted online a lot of the videos are coming from the standpoint of an emotional uh feminist that is attacking you know somebody or some situation out of pure emotion but um i think that we really gotta get back to being able to identify a lot of these perpetrators and point them out so that people aren't misguided when confronted with people who appear to be for the movement but really have ulterior motives and agendas all right yeah we're still good so yeah, I think that Black Lives Matter has the most attention uh, worldwide because the name itself draws people in. People don't really look at the the principles of the organization itself. They just look at the statement and what it means. And yes, black life does matter. So it's easy for somebody to fall into the trap of wanting to associate themselves with the slogan, not knowing that the organization is actually pushing something that is detrimental to African culture, African people. And yeah, you know, I do, I do think there are some other, the other people who rally around that slogan that are not, you know, caught up in the uh, the the agenda of the of, of of the founders. But but you but your point is your point is right on regarding regarding the agenda of the founders. I mean, that's that's a fact. We can't deny that. Yeah, and then um, another thing that we can't allow it to happen is we can't we can't um settle for things that are not based in substance and are strictly just style points or things that make you feel good 
at the end of every episode, we play a clip by Amos Wilson where he says, if studying your history is merely supposed to make you feel good, then you're going to die feeling good. Uh-huh. So we Those had, are definitely his words. We have to we have to really start to remove or shy away from or reject things that are strictly built off of uh, style. Things that are strictly built off of optics, like painting streets mm-hmm. and painting murals and taking down statues, taking down statues of uh, Calhoun and Abraham Lincoln and all these other Europeans, but right in the black churches and in front of the black churches, you still got statues and pictures of white Jesus that need to be mm. taken down. Mm. So mm. I think that, you know, we have to really, we have to really focus, focus our energy into the things that will bring us real results. Absolutely. And exactly. one of the things that you mentioned exactly. right here is, is one of the things that will be positive energy focused in on is policing yourself. Males coming together in the community and actually starting programs, talking to the youth, reaching out to the youth, helping to build opportunities for the youth, and helping to change the culture and the education level and the consciousness of our community so that we'll not just be policing ourselves, but we'll be raising the next generation. Right, right. Yep, the harvest Jack, is I know. Go ahead, go ahead, brother. No, I, I know you wanted to talk uh, about the... Uh, situation out in uh, aurora colorado uh yeah we were uh before the show i guess i can say we were talking about uh you know the young man uh <clears throat> elijah 23 year old young man healthy slight of build 23 years old accosted by the police Elijah McClain we're referring to. He made a bizarre statement. I'm being censored. He folded his arms as if to protect himself. He intoned to the police. I don't eat meat. I can't kill anything. I'm a vegetarian, etc., etc. But in spite of his pleas, of course, the the uh, the increasingly familiar uh, cry was that I can't breathe. Once again, young man loses his life. The 911 caller, based on the information I had, have um, gave no indication that the young man, 140 years, 140 pound Elijah McClain, was an imminent threat. He didn't have a gun. Uh, he was not massive in terms of build. Uh, the police initially were exonerated for the murder of young McLean, but now I understand at the state level, their efforts to uh, investigate this heinous murder. Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, it, it was a, it was a call. Once again, we have these, uh, nosy people who, uh, seem to always be observing us they they, they 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 don't they don't ever seem to be around where you know some of these uh white mass shooters are but you know it was a call by 
a European watching Tamir Rice play with a with a, a toy gun, he calls the police about a kid playing with a toy gun and Tamir Rice is killed in less than two seconds after the police pulled up. And once again, in this situation with Elijah McClain, here, here we go once again. This this the man just walked out of a store after making a purchase. He had a mask on, and, I, and I'll read you something about him in just a minute. But he had committed no crime, but he looked suspicious. Well, look, every black person since, you know, we first came in contact with Europeans have looked suspicious. But one of the things we found out about this particular killing was the, the use of this uh, anesthetic called ketamine, or ketamine, K-E-T-A-M-I-N-E. Okay. It's, a, it's an anesthetic that is commonly used in uh, in human and veterinary uh, medicine. So I'm going to read this. Uh, much like the story, uh, much of the story of McLean's death is horribly familiar. Like Trayvon Martin, he was walking home from a convenience store with an, with an iced tea. Like Tamir Rice, the police were summoned to accost him for non-criminal behavior. In this case, wearing a ski mask, McLean was anemic and often don extra layers to keep warm and having his arms perhaps you know in the time of music in the headphones he was reportedly uh using you know he was he was waving his arms and this alarmed the caller the fact that he was waving his arms like Philando Castile he attempted to assert his rights telling the officers I have a right to go where I'm going like Walter Scott the police decided he was resisting arrest like George Floyd and Eric Garner, he protested, I can't breathe, when officers applied pressure to his neck. Like too many other names, uh, too many other names to mention, he was black and unarmed. But the ketamine element is not familiar. Subjected to a, a chokehold, McLean briefly lost consciousness. After coming around, the police claimed he began struggling again. Now, there were about, there was three guys on this 140-pound man, and they claimed he had superhuman strength. You know, one of these days they're gonna approach a guy like Mike Tyson, and all three of them are gonna be knocked out before they can, before they can even uh, draw their weapons. I mean, so uh, after coming around, the police claimed he began struggling again. Though it is difficult to imagine how this behavior could have posed uh, multiple armed officers any threat, given that McLean was already handcuffed. Nevertheless, Aurora Fire paramedics who had been summoned to the scene because of the neck restraint, injected McLean with ketamine while police personnel held him on the ground. Now, he eventually died of a heart attack. They claim he had safe levels of this drug. So, I mean, this is another way. How many of our people may have been killed as a result of this? We, you know, uh, this is the first time I ever heard about it. Uh, but, I mean, that, that, that's just another example of, of the state-sponsored violence. Because, you know, they have so many different ways of executing us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, waging war on every level. We still got the situation in Flint, Michigan. Uh, State-sponsored terrorism. Run amok. Uh, got a situation where vigilantes are on a rampage. Uh, you know, in a real sense... Uh, Nothing has really changed since 1619. You know, we are, su are subjected to terror and more terror. Uh, I understand that uh, 
after 1877, for the next 51 years, Africans were killed at a rate of something like one African every two and a half days during the time of Ida B. Wells and others. Uh, the time period I'm referring to extending beyond 1817. According to the Malcolm X grassroots movement, there are 3.1 Africans who are killed in extrajudicial murders on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, what what has really changed? You you talked uh, before the show, brother, about African Americans, I believe, making 51 cents of every dollar that the European uh, makes. Uh, you know, the economic situation surely has uh, not changed, and you know, as you pointed out, this includes the mega superstars, LeBron James and, you know, Kevin Durant and people of this ilk. So you know, we're talking about the myth of human progress at best is uh, what we're dealing with in 2020. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's, it's to the point where they are just plain and simply telling us what they're thinking, which means that, you know, that that action will follow. We saw what happened uh, last week in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, where three police officers were fired. And, uh, you know, one of the officers, Kevin, Kevin Piner, said, we're just going to go. Now, this is this is the these are the exact words of a police officer. Uh, He made this statement and, you know, Somehow they found out about it, it or it was taped or I, I don't know exactly how they found out about it. I haven't gone into those details. But he said, we're just going to go out and start slaughtering them effing inwards. I can't wait. God, I can't wait. So this man said he can't wait to the point where, you know, they can just go around and, and do like a Nathan Bedford Forrest and Pitchfork, uh, Ben Tillman and others. It, they are plan. They are they are looking forward to the point where they can commit mass racial violence, like we saw in Elaine, Arkansas, for example, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rosewood, Florida. Uh, these are the words of now former Wilmington police officer Kevin Piner. He, along with officers James Gilmore and Jesse Moore, have been fired, 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 fired from the department after dash footage recorded two phone conversations accidentally and a supervisor conducting a routine audit of the videos found the disturbing content. This is what I almost keeps saying that there are, be aware that there are other Dylan roofs out there and the likelihood that they will strike at this particular point is, uh, is greater than ever. But here, here you have people that's on the police force. And you know the police force, just like the United States military, has been heavily infiltrated with white supremacists since day one. But particularly, you know, uh, you know, right now in 2020. So you know, that's just one example. You know, where uh, you know th- th- these guys, uh, you know, they messed up and let the information uh, leak out. And but how many actually think that way and are smart enough not to say it in a recorded manner? This is what we're dealing with. Okay, as a continuation of. Uh... Pulitzer Prize winner uh, Chris Hedges, formerly of the New York Times, makes uh, brilliant observations when he contrasts style over substance. For instance, 
he mentions the fact that the mayor of D.C., Muriel Bauer, had the words Black Lives Matter painted in 35-foot-tall letters on a street near the White House. Now, almost you alluded to this early on when you uh, highlighted the uh, illuminated, actually, uh, how style uh, supersedes substance. But yet, we have a situation where uh, the mayor has proposed a $45 million increase in the police budget uh, and the construction of a $500 million new jail. See, So, um, you know, suffice it to say, uh, this is the kind of thing that is um, constantly done to deceive um, the masses of black people. And consequently, we end up in too many instances uh, elevating uh, melanin over policy. <laughs> what, uh, that That's, you know, basically what I want to say about um, the uh, the cosmetics uh, uh, modus operandi that is usually implemented to deceive people. Yeah, and it and it and, and it works in a in a community where where you don't have uh, people who are driven by a consciousness to not accept pacifiers when what we in fact need to be working toward is to walk the earth once again as free, proud, productive, prosperous, and powerful people. And painting on the streets, I mean, what Hedges points out is the utter hypocrisy. You, you're painting letters on the street and then you're building a jail to make sure that you lock the, the very people that will be walking down those streets. You'll be locking them up because they they won't have any jobs. I mean, it was just like these uh, corporations here in Charlotte, which is known as Wall Street South, uh, lighting up their buildings Juneteenth weekend in red, black, and green, uh, while uh, they, they, they're putting forth no effort <laughs> to... Uh, to give uh, people of African descent, you know, decent wages. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, you know, we're supposed to be children. We really are supposed to be children that that uh, that, that 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 will fall for the pacifiers every time. And you know, one one of the things that I think really hits this uh, whole idea of um, you know assimilationism, integration, uh, you know working together and, you know, building a just society in the head is, despite all of these years of quote-unquote black progress, we see that the wage gap between black men and white men is the same as it was in 1950. So I'm going to read this report uh, from the New York Times, and I titled it The Wages of Capitalism and White Supremacy, No Progress Since 1950 for African-American Men. The wage gap between black men and white men is as large today as it was in 1950. The official statistics are misleading. They exclude people who are not working. And, th and there has been a sharp increase, a sharp rise since the 1980s in the number of black men who don't work. We remember sick Willie Clinton. Sick Willie uh, uh, changed the way that unemployment in this country is calculated by by refusing to count people who are no longer actively seeking employment. Some have dropped out of the labor force, no longer looking for work, 
and and have failed to find decent paying blue collar jobs, a trend that all has also hurt men of other races, though not as badly. Others are incarcerate. Overall, even even before the recent downturn, about 30 percent of black men between the ages of 25 and 54 were not working. OK, the high the highest level of um, of, unemplo- of unemployment during the Great Depression was about 25 percent. So you got 35, 30 percent of the black men in the United States between 25 and 34 were not working. And that was before the COVID economy hit us. Uh, this is much more than in previous decades because, you know, we know a lot of our people did have decent paying jobs in, uh, you know, the industrial and manufacturing uh, economy of the 1950s, 60s and, and 70s. As a result, the official t- statistics on wages and many other economic subjects ignore a growing segment of the black population. They cover o- only those men fortunate enough to be working. So once again, so when we go to all these people to talk about, oh, we got the black mayors and the black police chiefs and, you know, we got all of these entertainers and whatnot. But when you put all of those people in the mix, in 1950, black men were earning 51 percent, I mean, 51 cents for every dollar that white men earned. It, it did increase during the, the 1960s. 70s and parts of the 1980s, but in 2020, it's back down to 51 cents for every dollar the white men earn. 70 years, no progress on that particular front. Go ahead, brother. And I mean that's that's one of the most pivotal fronts. I mean you're talking about you're talking about ownership versus the people that are owned still owned even after chattel slavery the african man's wealth in this country is less almost less than half of the europeans average wealth so i mean that right there should tell you that you know all of these integrationist and equality tactics that have been implemented have not gear black people towards gaining real power in terms of wealth accumulation you know I believe our aggregate wealth holdings are comparable are very similar to what they were during the time of Lincoln yeah 1865 you're right yeah uh, you you look at uh, PBW pinchback in Louisiana you had a um, a man in South Carolina who was, I believe, head of the Supreme Court. You definitely had more uh, senatorial representation in 1870 than you do now. So even from a cosmetic standpoint, you find a situation where Africans at best have remained stagnant, if not gone back, gone backwards. So essentially, <laughs> uh, since many of our people, uh, every, all Africans in 1950, whether you lived in Mississippi uh, or whether you lived in New York, were affected by American apartheid, the, 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 dif- the different ramifications of American apartheid. So it, would we have been better off if we had chosen uh, separation? <laughs> 
if if we're gonna wind up right back <laughs> in the same conditions. I mean, obviously, obviously, you elim- you you have to eliminate a system where uh, someone you know is forcing you into into uh, into different uh, you know forms of oppression, right? Which segregation is forced oppression, but you know, what if we had chosen, okay, so now we broke these barriers down, but hey, we're going to build our own economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to wind up in the same place mm-hmm. 70 years later. And, we, and, 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 and if we go ahead. if we would have did ahead. that 70 years ago and stuck to it, we wouldn't be in the same place right now. We would be in I a don't much, think so. A much I better think we'd have been much better. Right. Well, <laughs> clearly we would have had to uh, defend ourselves. You know, Rosewood in the litany of cities that were destroyed, but you know yeah. it's clear. Uh, uh, Highland Garnett, I believe, he said the story of the Hebrews, the small hats, are definitely not applicable to our situation because, in the case of Africans, we got Pharaoh on both sides of the Red Sea. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, a fictitious story as it is. Uh, but 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 to your point, Jack, uh, your father and my father came home from World War II, just like Robert Williams, just like Mega Evers, just like a whole lot of men. We had brothers came home from Vietnam, like Geronimo G. Jaga. These brothers, after fighting the Germans and the Japanese and the Koreans, a lot of them, the Deacons for Defense would be one of your best examples. The Deacons for Defense, Robert Williams, these would be some of your great examples. In terms of if we could have rebuilt a black Wall Street and you got now these brothers that have military, uh, you know, training, combat and have an attitude that look, you know, you know, we saw the French. Right. We, we, we saw the English. We saw the Germans. We saw the Americans. We know that we that we are equal to them in terms of manhood, in terms of fighting capacity. So we may have been in a better position to defend those communities with those brothers, you know, like Robert Williams, like the Deacons for Defense. I'm just saying that's po- that possibility, you know, exists. Yeah, a- absolutely. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, I- I'm just reminded of uh, Brother Wilson once again and Sister Ani when, you know, they both... Um, are very clear uh, when they make the statement, manhood is a creative act, uh, just a process by which we sit down, strategize, and formulate a policy that speaks to the goal of what is it that we need out of the African-American men? Uh, what, what kind of men must we produce in order to combat uh, white supremacy, racism, and whatever, and, and, and the various things that um, the African collective is confronted with. Yeah, and you know, and I think we were producing those men. <laughs> Un- I think, no I, doubt I, about it. I think I think we were producing, you know, the, the bunch of Carters and the Fred Hamptons, and of course, our enemies, including you know the uh, tr- the race traitors, you know, within within us and our community you know, did everything they could to thwart that. I, I, I want to do two, po- I want to mention two very positive things. Uh, one that, that just happened yesterday 
and uh, and another one that happened one day last week. There was a there, there was a there uh, we know that and we've talked about this before, you know, on our community in uh, you know on our uh, you know communications, you know, with with the people about uh, missing black children, ch- black children who are subjected to uh, the whims and exploitation of these uh, pedophiles and all of this. And, so, and some of these people are people of African descent. So there, there was uh, uh, some houses in Milwaukee that people have been complaining about. So what happened is these two teenage uh, young ladies uh, went missing and they were last seen in this house. And the, pe- the black people in this particular community had called the police on this house 30 times. They said the house, you know, was a uh, repository of sexual trafficking, sex trafficking. Mm. OK. And they thought that these girls were there and they were upset because, you know, the police were not responding. So, you know, the police finally came out. But by, by this time, the, the, the people were in a rage. A beautiful thing happened almost. I know you'll be proud of these brothers and sisters. They burned the house down. That's right. <laughs> they burned they burn the house down. That's right. They say you won't do no more sex trafficking in this house. A That's beautiful right. thing, our brothers and sisters in Milwaukee. Just shows the capacity that you know that we can. You know, we, we, we can rebel. And um you know, I mean, and, and, you know, when they went out and interviewed the people, say, well, you know, we're tired of this. We've been telling the police about this. They haven't done anything. So they said, OK, we'll, we'll fix this problem. <laughs> they won't operate out of here no more. I ain't saying they won't operate, but they won't operate out of here. Another thing, uh, you know, after the killing of uh, one-year-old Sincere Gaston and three-year-old uh, Makai James, uh, black business owners in Chicago step up to fight violence. A group of black business owners is offering two $25,000 rewards to help find the killers of recently slain children in Chicago. The group led by philanthropist Early Walker started the organization I'm Telling Don't Shoot two weeks ago. On Sunday morning, they were joined by um, some politicians to announce the the two rewards. Uh, so $25,000, and, and uh, one of the business people said, if $25,000 doesn't get it, we're going up to 35, 45, 50. We're not going to stop. So I think this is a tremendous thing that, we, that we've seen because uh, one of the things that uh, Brother Walker pointed out, he says, he says, we've lost 10 kids in the last few weeks under the age of 10. 10 kids under the age of 10 killed in Chicago in the last two weeks. Hurtful, hurtful. I, I, look, I posted a picture of this just darling, this little young black male child that was killed, man. And it, I mean, if this if this type of thing doesn't doesn't move you to do something, but I'm just so I'm, I, you know I, I'm glad that these brothers decided to do this, and you know they don't have to uh, wait for Black Lives Matter. <laughs> they decided, look, the lives of these children matter to us, mm-hmm. and we coming out. Now what? Now what if you know uh, James and all these you know other guys? And I'm not I, you know we 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 talk about LeBron all the time. He's probably doing more than the average person, than the average athlete. But uh, you know all these others, uh, you know other you know uh, rich uh, you know uh, wealthy uh, black business people, black entertainers, and whatever. What if that became a national movement? 
what if that became a national movement? So everything has to start somewhere. So those were two positive things I wanted to mention. I know we're running short on time. Okay, this is the African Liberation Media. It's been my pleasure to uh, chat with brothers Amos and Macaru. And we will look forward to at some point in time engaging you and um, allowing you uh, an opportunity, hopefully in the near future, to express yourself as James Weldon Johnson articulated many years ago. We want to lift up every voice. Sly the Family Stone said everybody is a star. Stand earth, wind, and, and fire. Still be earth, wind, and fire said shining star. And we want to adhere to that idea. This has been the African Liberation Media. A BB for ODA. BB for ODA. BB for ODA. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately, those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.